Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. My name is Peter, and I am one of three pastors serving here and one of 147 members of Bethany Baptist Church. It is my delight and joyful privilege to serve you God's word. Because man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, if you're not a great Christian joining us today, and you might not be familiar with the Bible, fret not, feel free to grab uh, the black hardcover Bible underneath the seat in front of you. And page number for 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is... 1024. Thank you. 1024. Chapter numbers are big numbers. Small numbers are verses. So when I say 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you should be in the big number 4. And small number 7, 7 through 18. Hear then the words of our living God, the most important words, the words that cause faith to rise. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus would also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to rise or to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed by day by day. For our momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of Christ dwell richly among us. Let's pray. Father, show us your glory. May Christ be exalted and extolled as I strive to expound your word faithfully. Speak to us generally and specifically as we hear your word. Convict us of our sins in the coming judgment. And may we be encouraged to persevere and to not to give up when afflictions come our way, because afflictions are guaranteed, inevitable. Yet, help us to look to the example that we have in the apostle. In Jesus' name, amen. So growing up, I had MIT, Yale, and hard, not hard, Harvard flags up on my dining wall. That was done by my mother. I visited all three, but when I visited Yale, man, I fell in love with the campus. They were archaic, and so old. 
historic buildings everywhere, and students seemingly walking to their class so happy. Cold, crisp air during the winter. I dreamt of going there, and I studied hard. And I graduated from Cal Baptist University. <laughs> I think I gave up my first year in high school. I told myself, ah, this is not how the Lord has built me. <laughs> Why did I give up midway? Because my reasons weren't as strong as its appositions. The payment that I needed to pay outweighed the benefit, the reward, the outcome. Yale was great, but sleeping was greater. <laughs> what about the Christian life? What about proclaiming Christ? How can we make sure that we don't give up halfway? Because saints, you look at um, saints who are older and wiser and maybe their hair color is a little different, ask them because affliction is coming your way. As I grow older, I say this to the older saints often, my appreciation for the older saints grow tremendously because as I'm growing older, little by little, I feel the pangs and the sins and the brokenness of this world, but they have gone that, gone through that route and journey years, years more than I did, decades. So how do we make sure that we don't give up halfway? Our passage today comes from 2 Corinthians, second letter to the church in Corinth from the Apostle Paul. And as he is writing to them, he tells them his situation. His life is filled with trials and afflictions. Look down with me to 2 Corinthians, not to chapter 4, but chapter 1. So turn a few pages to the left, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. This is describing, describing Paul's situation. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, turn to uh, chapter 7, a couple chapters to your right, verse 5. He adds to his description of his trials. So he's saying, we don't want you to be unaware of my life. I even despaired of life itself. That's the extent of my trial. Chapter 7, verse 5, he adds, In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. So what's his situation? There's pressures from outside, and there's also pressure, internal turmoil that's going on. To the point of his perception of his life is a sentence of death. Now, last chapter that I want you to go to is chapter 11. So turn to your right a little bit more. Chapter 11, verse 24. Follow along as I read verses 24 through 29. This is giving uh, an addition to a quick view of Paul's context, his trial. Verse 24. Now, Paul is mentioning here records of his past sufferings. They were not seasonal, they were ongoing. And he's uh, recollecting the past events of his sufferings and trials. Verse 24. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times was I beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst, often without cold, without clothing. Not to, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? 
I stopped there. Now think about the Apostle Paul's life. His life is filled with misery and trials. Have you ever gone in a situation or something that happened to you? I mean, it's just misery after misery after misery after misery, and then you're hungry, and then you're misery after misery. It's just things are piled up. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, man, today's just not my day. But for Apostle Paul, it wasn't just a day. It was years in his service to Christ. There's so much that a person can endure, right? At a certain point, you would throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up, Lord. Turn back to our passage in chapter 4. Now, we're going to be camping in chapter 4. Look down to verse 16. Think about all his trials and hardships. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. What does Paul say? We do not give up. This verse is the central statement in our passage today. Yes, there are those who give up halfway because of adversities and sufferings and trials and afflictions. But Paul's not one of them. He says, we do not give up. What makes him keep going? That's the question. What is it that pushes him along? That though there are waves and currents that are coming his way, that he is faithfully able to walk steadily. What causes him to persevere? Look down again to verse 16. What's the very first word there? What is it? Therefore, saints, whenever you, the, you, you read the Bible, you notice a conjunction, meaning therefore, so that, and, then, but, stop, and pay careful attention. Because the author is giving us crumbs and big clues as to the logic of the text. Paying careful attention to these conjunctions will help you become a better Bible reader. So what does the word therefore connotate? It connotates whatever preceded the word therefore is the reason for Paul's statement. So he's saying verses 7 through 15, blah, therefore we do not give up. Here's the reason, verse 17 through 15, these are the reasons, therefore we do not give up. Meaning the reason why Paul doesn't give up is because of verses 7 through 15. And... Verse 17. What's the first word of verse 17? For, which, which is translated as because. We do not give up because our momentary and light affliction is producing in us the eternal weight of glory. So there are three reasons, but I'm going to give you the main goal of today's text first. If you're taking notes... The main goal of today's sermon text is persevere in proclaiming Christ. Persevere in proclaiming Christ. Three reasons why you should persevere and not give up. First, this is verses 7 through 15. Because you hold the treasure in clay jars. Second reason why you shouldn't give up and persevere is because your affliction is different. Verse 17. And last reason, because you're, you focus on the unseen. That's verse 18. Majority of our time, we'll be camping on the first reason. As you can tell, it's the majority of the verses, verse 7 through 15. So three reasons why you should persevere and not give up. So Apostle Paul is proclaiming the new covenant ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, amidst sufferings, trials, afflictions, sleepless nights, beatings, stonings. He is dead on. He keeps professing Christ. He keeps proclaiming new covenant ministry. And he does not give up. And he's encouraging the saints here, to keep going, to persevere, 
with those three reasons. Now, first reason, because you hold a tr treasure in clay jars. Look at verse 7. Now, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. You might have a lot of questions there. The, 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 the first plural pronoun, we, there, is referring to Paul and Timothy. How do I know that? Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy is sending this letter to the church, the second letter to the church in Corinth. So now we, Timothy and Paul, have this treasure in clay jars. You might be wondering, what is this treasure and what is this clay jars? The hint there is uh, we need to go back to verse 6, maybe even up until verse 5. So look with me to verse 6, which is the preceding verse. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So God is giving what? What is God giving there? The light of the knowledge of God's glory. Now you might be wondering, okay, that might be the treasure, but I don't understand what the light of the glory or the light of the knowledge of God's glory means. Well, look to verse 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you see the similarity there? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? So the light of the knowledge of God's glory is referring to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Meaning, when we look at verse 7, now we have this treasure, treasure that we receive from the Lord in clay jars. This treasure is symbolizing or pointing to the gospel. The gospel is the treasure that we have received. And as you can tell, I said we have received, meaning clay jars is referring to men. Yes, men and women who are Christians. But the reason why the Apostle Paul uh, refers to clay jars is because of frailty of mankind. Clay jars are insignificant, replaceable, common, though made in the image of God, to carry the glories of Christ in the gospel. So as we carry the gospel in ourselves, in the body that is decaying, given temporary health, God's power is displayed. Now I said God's power is displayed. Look down with me to verse 8. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So when you look at verse 7 through 9, the Lord has given all of us sitting here the gospel. We hold treasure in clay jars that are frail. Frail? Yes, frail. But what is the purpose of God giving us treasure in these clay jars? Look at verse 7. What is the reason? So that... <laughs> The extraordinary, what? Extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So think about our frail body that's temporary in health. We are all slowly dying. But the reason, the reason why God gave us treasure to hold within this frail body that's decaying and dying is so that God's power may be revealed, not ours. Do you remember in Acts how uh, I think it was Apostle Peter and the other apostles were proclaiming Christ and people are saying, who are these people? They're unlearned. They're socially a downcast or socially in the lower end. Yet they proclaim Christ or they proclaim this, this person with such authority. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Meaning, brothers and sisters, as we proclaim Christ and hold Christ, hold gospel within ourselves, in our frailty, even in our sin, God's power is being displayed. God's power, not ours, is being displayed 
to the watching world. So, saints, do you feel weak? Maybe you feel strong. If you feel weak, good. That means you're not fooled by the lies of this world. But if you think you are strong, you might be fooled. You might be deceived, and you might have been led astray. The apostle tells us that we are clay jars, replaceable, common, insignificant, and frail. Saints, I spend a lot of time with PJ, so I know. Speak with PJ, and he'll tell you what body part is hurting this week. There's not a single human being who is not slowly dying. But in God's infinite wisdom, he's given the greatest treasure, and he has entrusted that treasure to frail human beings like you and I. What's the purpose? So that God's power may be displayed. So, saints, are you feeling discouraged because of your current state? Maybe it's concerning your physical health. Maybe it's concerning your marriage status. Or maybe it's concerning the health of your marriage. Maybe it's concerning your kids or lack of kids. Whatever the case is, our weakness, our frailty, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually, the fact that the gospel, which is the highest treasure, has been given to us, entrusted to us, to frail human beings like you and I, is to point to the fact that the power doesn't reside in us, but the power belongs to the Lord. That's the Lord's. And even in your frailty, as you're striving to hold on to Christ, his power is being made perfect in your weakness. Gospel people aren't Marvel superheroes. We are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, and we are struck down. Yet the words that are coupled in verse 8 and 9 with those negative connotations give us a lot of hope. Because look, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Saints, be encouraged and persevere because, yes, you are weak, but you're meant to be weak. Are you discouraged because of your current status? Be encouraged because of your current status. Because the Lord has ordained it that way so that his power may be displayed in your weakness. Now, if verse 7 through 9 state the main idea of verses 7 through 15, verses 10 through 15 are unpacking verses 7 through 9. So look at verse 7 through 9. That's the main idea within 7 through 15. But the remaining verses, verses 10 through 15, are unpacking the idea portrayed in verse 7, which is treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power of God may be displayed. So verse 10 through, 10, 10 through 15. What is the... Verses 10 through 15 describes how our frailty displays God's power. Look down with me to verse 10. Are you, are you there? Verse 10? I'll read for us. We sometimes carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Saints, the Bible says that we will sometimes carry the death of Jesus in our body. When we're out of trouble, when we're out of storm, when we're out of the woods, we no longer carry the death of Jesus. We carry the life of Jesus. Is that what it says in verse 10? We sometimes always carry the death of Jesus. When you're out of the woods, when you're feeling comfortable, when you're in the best season of your spiritual life, even economic life, you always carry the death of Jesus. Carrying the death of Jesus isn't a switch you can turn on and turn off. It's ever-present, ever-always with you. 
As Christians, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body, always, saints. Do you feel like you're in a really good season right now, feeling close to the Lord, major trials gone with the wind? Remember, you are still carrying the death of Jesus. So the question is, how? What does it mean that we're carrying the death of Jesus even in our best of seasons? Carrying the death of Jesus is being given over to Jesus' sake. Look at verse 10 and then compare that with verse 11. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. There's a parallel there. So carrying the death of Jesus always is being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Namely, suffering in the name of and for the sake of Christ. That when you and I suffer, we aren't suffering merely for the sake of suffering. When we suffer, we aren't suffering aimlessly nor without a purpose. Think about it. Your feud with your in-laws... Your marital conflict, death of your spouse, all these sufferings as you pursue Christ aren't aimless nor purposeless. We suffer in the name and for the sake of Christ. And as we are being given over to death, we are displaying the life of Christ. Now, you might still wonder, but Peter, I still don't feel that way. I get what you're saying, but I don't feel that way because I'm in a really good season. Now, you might be in one of two categories. First category, uh, your radar might be off. You might see small trials and small sufferings not as sufferings. So your radar to catch sufferings that the Lord has ordained in your life might be a little off. Second category. You might not be pursuing godliness. Saints, there is a radical difference between those who are marked as Christ and those who aren't marked as Christ. God has promised us that as Christians, if you pursue to live in godliness, you will be persecuted. Um, a student is not above its and if our master suffered, how much more will his students, his followers suffer? So, saints, are, are you feeling the, the conflicts and within, even internally, as you're calculating, okay, should I make a compromise here or should I not? That's a good conflict that you have. You should always keep your conscience clear. But if you don't even have that conflict within you, and your life is not marked by perhaps persecution or suffering or trials, you can have a radar that's a little off, but you might not pursue godliness in your life. And that's a big problem, if that's the case. And that question, you need to answer. As you pursue godliness at work, with family members, with friends, anywhere you go, there will be an opposition. You know why? Because we serve a king who is radically different. We serve the true king. Everyone else, they're serving something else. And that something else is radically different from king. So how we choose to live our lives should and must and ought to be radically different, which might go against the current. Hence, persecution. Now this being given over to death has a purpose. What is the purpose? It's in verse 12. So that the life of Jesus may also be displayed. Saints, your trials, sufferings, afflictions, and being given over to death for sake of Christ is outward focused. You suffering right now for the name and for the sake of Christ is outward focused. Because the point and the design of carrying the death of Jesus is to result in displaying Christ's life. Displaying meaning someone's watching, someone's seeing. It's outward. But saints, how many times when we suffer, it becomes internal? You not only keep it to yourself, 
but there's an internal struggle that's in your mind. We become, we can become isolated in our struggles, in our trials. But what if you knew that the design of suffering, trials, and affliction is for the displacement of Christ's life, meaning outward? So when you suffer as a Christian, when you go through trial and respond to that trial accordingly in godly way, in a mature way, others see the life of Christ. It is outward focused. Read with me, verse 12. I'll read, you can listen. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. I was talking with a, a church member about this verse, and he was confused. How can my death be life in others? How can my suffering be life-giving for others? Turn with me to first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 again. Turn to left a little bit, verse 6 and 7. The question was, how can my death be life for them? Verse 6. If we, we as Timothy and Paul, if we are afflicted, it is for whose comfort? Whose comfort is it? Your comfort and salvation. If we, if we are comforted, it is for whose comfort? Your comfort. Which produces in who? You. Patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you also will share in the comfort. So Apostle Paul and Timothy are literally saying, my affliction is for your comfort. My comfort is for your comfort. And this produces in you patient endurance. Saints, think about... Um, Saints near you who have endured trials after trials after trials. And you're thinking, God, what are you doing with their lives? Their life is characterized and marked by so many trials. Why them? Why in this way? And why not that way? But as they endure, it is for your comfort. You are growing in your patient endurance. You know why? Because it sucks to be alone. But when you know that you're not alone, it gives you great comfort. Does it not? When you finally know, oh, I'm not the only one who is struggling with this thought. Oh, I'm not the only one who is struggling with this season. That gives you great comfort and patient endurance. So saints of BBC, I implore you. Build a muscle to be outward focused in your afflictions and trials. And I think majority of you, if not all of you, have that muscle almost built because we're constantly, we're often talking about our trials and sufferings and temptations. But one of the applications might be, are you suffering trials? Weep on the shoulders of other members. It's not weak to weep. Maybe it is. But in your weakness, God's power is displayed. Are you suffering a derailing discouragement? You can talk with other members and disclose it to them, some of the stupid thoughts that you might have. And saints, when you share those thoughts, you don't have to expect something profound, like they're going to shift you and change you. And it's okay. Saints, you don't need to feel that pressure to, to say something that's profound that would help them and change them. But as they speak to you of their derailing thoughts and discouragements, give them a hug. Let them know that you're praying for them. If you have no words to say. And think about next time, if you're to hear that, what you might say. You who are discouraged, you who are suffering, you who are struck with afflictions in your pursuit of Christ, when you lay your burdens to fellow church members, you are working for their encouragement and their comfort. But just because you realize that your afflictions have meaning doesn't mean that going through them is easy, right? 
Your affliction is still real. It still feels heavy. Just because you learn that God's design for your affliction is outward focus rather than inward focus doesn't mean that your affliction gets easier. It's still hard. But like I said, it is encouraging when you know that you're not the only one who's going through afflictions and persecutions and perplexions and being struck down alone. We can recall and remember who have gone through trials and have still kept the faith and be encouraged by that. Look down with me to verse 13 in chapter 4. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. The Apostle Paul is stating that we have the same spirit as the psalmist in Psalm 116. We read one, um, Psalm 116 during our... Um, reading of scripture time. But that psalm is primarily about thanking God and placing a firm trust in the midst of trial. This is what verse 3 says in Psalm 116. Listen carefully. Verse 3 of Psalm 116. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Doesn't that sound awfully similar to what Apostle Paul and Timothy are going through? That they even despaired of life itself because of their trials in Macedonia? But the psalmist in Psalm 116 doesn't end with grief or unbelief, but of firmer belief in the Lord in the midst of trying situations. And that's the encouraging part, that there is gospel hope. That we don't believe in a God who is aloof or indifferent, we believe in God who is ever-present, ever-infinite in his wisdom, in his timing, ever-perfect for our good and good of even outsiders. God who is ever-powerful, who laughs at his enemies, seated on his throne. So in this hope, Paul speaks. So saints, even as you go through turmoils and trials and sufferings, be reminded of the God whom we believe, who laughs at his enemies, and invite others to speak to you if you can't remember and recall God's truth about who he is. So in this hope that Paul has, he speaks. What does he speak? Verse 14 and 15 are the reasons for strengthening of his faith. So he's in complete and utter trial. But verse, verse 14 and 15, it reads, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. The reasons why our faith is strengthened in the midst of suffering, even to the point of death, is because of two reasons, according to verse 14 and 15. What are the two reasons? First, resurrection. Second, benefit. So saints, as you're going through your sufferings, there are some reasons why your, strength, your faith should be strengthened. First reason, thinking about resurrection. Second reason, benefit. Okay, what is the worst case scenario for an intensifying affliction? Death. Death is a great equalizer. But in death, we have such a hope. Because not only will we resurrect, but we will be resurrected with glorified, incorruptible, immortal bodies. Ruling and reigning with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ brings that kingdom. That's our gospel hope, is it not? So think about it. As you are suffering your trials, if you compare that to the reward that's coming, eternal reward, inheritance, this... You can see it in its true light. This, where you are seeing affliction at the level of that's, that's significantly high, becomes significantly less in comparison to the resurrection that you see, that you're hoping for. Think about your current affliction 
and see the affliction in light of eternal joy with the Lord, feasting with Him, walking with Him. Imagine the most intimate and joyful and happiest and peaceful time that you've had with your closest friends around the table. Think about you laughing so hard that your stomach was beginning to hurt because you're just enjoying the time of your life with your friends and family members. Now think about that for eternity, without shame, without sin, without brokenness, without envy, without jealousy, but for eternity. It's hard to grasp that idea, but that day is coming and that will not have an end. Does that mean that we should minimize our near-death experience? Does that mean that we should minimize and not cry and not despair or not be sorrowful over the sins and the brokenness of this world? Absolutely not. There's a place to be sorrowful. But the apostle said, Apostle Paul says, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So we hold sorrow and joy together because we have gospel hope. We look at our current trials in its true light. It shouldn't be higher than what it really is. And that's because of looking to the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection. A second reason why our faith would be strengthened in the midst of intensifying affliction is, is this world, in this world is because everything is for our benefit. God's word says this in verse 15. Look, at, look down with me for 2 verse 15. Indeed, what's the next word? What is it? Say a little louder. Everything. Everything is for your benefit. Saints, do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that undone dishes are for your benefit? Do you believe that a kid picking his booger and putting on his dad's shirt is for your benefit? Do you truly believe that everything is for your benefit, not that some are for your benefit? Let me name some. Again, if everything happens for our benefit, even our unmet expectations are for your benefit. I'm going to name some, but not all. These are for your benefit. Singleness. Infertility. Your lack of competence. Competence. Your marriage conflict. Lack of thriving socially. Stuck at an unwanted job. Family pressures that you didn't want, nor did you imagine. Relational tolls within your friends that used to be so close. Relational tolls within your in-laws. You can't even gather during holidays. Death of your spouse. Kids. Even unborn kids. Someone cutting you off in traffic. Unclean restrooms. Wedgies. Neckties. Sorry, these are some of the things in my mind. <laughs> Imagine anything. What does the word say? It is for your benefit. Everything is for your benefit. Yes, everything. Even the most heinous injustice done towards someone else? Yes. Jesus was unjustly crucified under God's good providence and plan for the purpose of saving his elect. So yes, for your good, for your benefit. How will this knowledge and belief change the way that we look at this world and live in this world? Drastically. If truly you believe that everything is for your benefit. Friends, if you're not a Christian joining us today, Thank you for coming. We're grateful that you are here. But let me allow, uh, allow me to tell you the truth. You too will be raised when Christ returns. But your, your, your place isn't with Christ, but with every other evildoer who has rejected Christ. 
apart from God in the eternal lake of fire. And you might be saying, Peter, you don't know me. You don't know my life. Friend, you are not good enough. And the truth is, I'm not good enough. No one is good enough. That's why this is called the gospel, the good news. The bad news is that no one is good enough. Everyone rejected God as their king. Red? Yes. Leah? Yes. Everyone rejected God's kingship. Not even one is righteous and good enough. And that's why God sent Christ, the Son of God, to live the perfect life, but to die the sinner's death on the cross. 2,000 years ago, he was unjustly punished, killed, crucified on the cross for the sins of those who would repent and turn to trust in Christ. So friends, if you're not a Christian, Christian joining us today, we want to thank you for joining us. And we are earnestly pleading with you and praying for you that you would today repent from your sins and turn to trust in Christ, who died and rose again, who will return. Because when he returns and when you die, whatever comes first, everyone will be raised, but some will be thrown into lake of fire. Some will rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. But you, friend, are rightly condemned before God because you are not good enough. That this news can become good for you. And he is calling you, God is calling you to repent so you can receive forgiveness from God and rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth because Christ is the only one who is good enough. Friends, that's the gospel. So we plead with you to repent and believe. So going back to the first reason. So the first reason, this is the biggest reason I said. Remember, the, the main goal was persevere in proclaiming Christ in the new covenant ministry. Proclaiming Christ to unbelievers and believers alike. Proclaim Christ, first reason why you should persevere in proclaiming Christ is because you, clay jars, have received the treasure for the purpose of displaying God's power in your weakness. Our frailty is evident. You are all slowly dying. I am slowly dying. But in our being given over to death, Christ's life is displayed. So that was the first reason. Now let's go to the second reason. Verse 17, look down with me. Second reason why we shouldn't give up, rather persevere, is because our affliction is different. Look down with me to verse 17. It reads, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Let's stop there. That's the second reason. Remember, it starts with the conjunction for, because. We do not give up in verse 16, verse 17, because our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. There are um, adjectives that describe the word affliction that I want to look closely. What are the adjectives that are describing the word affliction? Those are momentary and light. Yes. These afflictions are momentary and light. And what is this affliction doing? What does this affliction cause and produce? It produces something. So momentary, light, and it is these momentary and light afflictions are producing something, affecting something. First, momentary. Friends, or saints, our afflictions are momentary. Yes, I get it. They may seem endless. When you're in the thick of it, it seems unending. Your tears never stopping. Oftentimes when we are afflicted and when our big trials come our way, we seldom think about its time limit. But have you considered that your current trial has a timetable? I know we're not thinking about timetable, but there is a timetable. Your trial is going to come to an end. It is momentary. Clock is ticking and they will come to an end. And the way the Apostle Paul describes it is temporary, momentary. 
And we have an experience that we can draw out that seems so long, but that are actually momentary and short. Now think about it. Adults, think about your childhood years. Were they really long? It seemed really long. But in the blink of an eye, you're here. Your childhood, gone. And I see older saints uh, smiling more because it's been 50 years or 60 years since their childhood years. But in the snap of a finger, they're now 70, 60, 50, 40. And their childhood years are gone. It just, but when, when you're in the thick of it, it just keeps dragging on and it seems endless. And what about those who have older children? Don't you remember the days when they were toddlers? But look at them, adults. People often say that though days are long, years are short. That their present circumstance with their toddlers seems so long, but in the blink of an eye, they're empty nesters. And every parent who currently has a toddler says, Amen. <laughs> but that's how we ought to also look at our trials, our afflictions, that they are momentary, that there is a timetable on it. Second, not only are these trials momentary, but light. But God, that's not how it feels. It does not feel light. Saints, BBC Saints, this, this past season, of past few months, have been really difficult for our church. We've had many funerals. Sadness of the loss of our loved ones come in waves. And God, how can you say that our affliction is light? I don't feel that way. Two things. First, whatever the Lord says, we align ourselves to God's word. Whatever we feel, we don't simply feel it and leave it as a feeling. We, we feed our feelings with God's truth. So we don't simply be, we're not being led by merely our feelings. Feelings are a gift from the Lord. But it's not our only guide. We feed it with truth. The Apostle Paul has gone through the school of hard knocks. Right? We read it in the beginning of my sermon. That is, five times he's received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and day in the open sea. Danger from robbers, peoples, Gentiles, city, wilderness, at sea, among false brothers. And he is stating that his affliction is light. But there's a reason why he adds these two adjectives to describe his trial and affliction. Momentary and light. Look down again. It's because of what this momentary light affliction produces. Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing, affecting, causing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The effect of this momentary light affliction is producing in us an absolutely incomparable weight of eternal glory. Do you see the word play here? Momentary and light affliction. Eternal weight. So momentary, switch that with eternal, light affliction, weight of God's glory. Saints, your afflictions, your school of hard knocks in this broken world, your journey to the celestial city through many valleys of shadows of death are effecting, causing, producing, bringing about this incomparable weight of eternal glory. Do you understand that? Think about the hardest affliction or trial that's going on in your life right now. Momentary light producing eternal weight of God's glory. We have a family. I, I asked for permissions, by the way. We have a family who's moved two years ago. 
from a far, far away country called Eastvale. They have been almost homeless for two years since they bought the house, unable to move in. Our momentary light affliction affecting an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. There's another family who's been fighting hard to adopt their foster children. Exchanges between court, family, countless many times, still no progress. Our momentary light affliction causing, effecting, incomparable weight of eternal glory. Saints, think about any affliction that you have. Momentary, light, producing an eternal weight of the glory of Christ. That is the very last reason why we shouldn't give up. Oh, that's the second reason why we shouldn't give up. I have six minutes. Last reason. This is verse 18. Look down with me to verse 18. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For, whatever, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Verse 18 is really describing the way by which we do not give up. That is, we do not give up by not focusing on what is seen, but what is unseen. Though the essence of having an eternal perspective is focusing on the unseen, you may clearly see the evidence of one's eternal perspective. When someone doesn't focus on what is seen, but unseen, because he considers the temporality of the seen and the eternality of the unseen, the evidence are clear. What that means is, if you are suffering in light of and thinking about and looking forward to what is unseen, there will be an evidence. People will be able to see the fact that you are focusing on what is unseen rather than seen. And there are records of history whose death displays the life of focusing on things that are unseen and therefore not giving up but persevering in proclaiming Christ. This comes from the book Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. So in the 1500s, this is the last quote that I'll say before I close. It's, I, I want to shift our focus to focusing on things that are unseen rather than things that are temporary and seen. Do we have any examples of that? In the 1500s, when the Protestant Reformation was inflamed by Martin Luther in Wittenberg, Germany, the Reformation wasn't contained geographically. The Lord was bringing about the Reformation in different location, i.e. England. And Queen Mary, named Bloody Mary, was a stark Roman Catholic who was infamously known for persecuting and killing Protestants. And as an example of someone who did not give up because of treasure in clay jars, because of seeing affliction differently, and because of focusing on the unseen, I'm going to quote on uh, Ridley and Latimer. Quote, in 1555, Ridley and Latimer were burned together. Back to back at the end of Broad Street in Oxford. Latimer, aged 80, was first to die. Shouting through the flames, he says, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Unfortunately, for Ridley, the wood had been badly laid around him so that he suffered terribly, his legs burning off before the rest of him was touched. And the horrible sight apparently moved hundreds to tears. Saints, we have examples after examples of saints who have gone before us, whom we can imitate, who focused on the things that are unseen rather than seen, and that is evidenced by their faith. I'm not telling you to go be burned. I'm telling you, focus on the things that are unseen. See the affliction in its true light and persevere in proclaiming Christ. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you suffering trials and afflictions? Persevere because of God's power displayed in you 
because of your different understanding of afflictions, and because you focus on the things that are unseen rather than seen. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us to persevere. We have many reasons to give up, but we have more reasons to not to. We want to hold on to Christ, the perfecter of our faith, and look to Christ and challenge each other and rebuke one another and encourage each other to look to Christ together. Father, help us to see affliction in its true light, momentary, light, and causing in us, for us, the eternal weight of your glory. And that you have given us treasure in this clay jar that's so frail, but in our weakness, your power is displayed. So help us to that end. May your word bear fruit. Help us to not be only hearer of your word, but doers of your word. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, guess if you're new here, something that we do at our church that's weird is 